He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's, want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. This time we will start with Case. All right, boys. Things are pretty good on this end. Uh, so good, in fact, that I've started taking yoga classes. Taking them at an actual yoga studio. So I'm going to use our uh, podcast platform to make a public service announcement. Don't make the mistake I did and assume that if you took yoga class as an elective in college, or you've been to a yoga class at a YMCA, you're prepared for the yoga studio experience because you are not. And they judge the hell out of you too. Constantly feeling judged, but I'm still enjoying it. I'm gonna keep going back and just annoy people at the very least. Are you telling me Coach, Coach Case was not prepared for other athletes being around him? Throwing that phrase athlete around pretty loosely, <laughs> but, uh, which is why I figured I would fit right in. But uh, no, everybody there is either looking at me going, what is he doing here? Or they're feeling completely sorry for me. And I could feel it the whole time, but I'm going to power through. Rigby. By the time you ha- will have listened to this, Craig and I will be will have surfed the Pacific Ocean, uh, recreating the scenes from Point Break. Amen. I'll leave it up to him if he wants to be the Johnny Utah or the Patrick Swayze role. Rigby, I am an FBI agent. So excited for this because you guys have never met in real life. No, we haven't. I've only met you, Kyle, in real life. That's true. I know. Craig's going to be coming out to California this weekend, so it's very exciting. Um, We're going to try to find a day to meet up and... And surf some waves. Never been surfing in my life, so that's obviously a joke. But and I can't swim, so we're in, we're in luck. James, well, I got hurt and wasn't even doing anything athletic. Still icing my old man knee that got hurt via nothing. And in two weeks from now, you guys will have be on vacation, and I will be just finishing my all nighter, cramming for finals. So uh, we're both kind of having so much fun. Sweet, I love it. I don't. Why'd you have to kill the mood, James? <laughs> I don't, hey, this is where I this is my therapy session, all right? Okay, there we go. I'm glad we could make you feel semi-normal for a moment. Just a moment, though. You want to join me for a yoga class? That'll help you feel better. Yeah, I think I'm in for that. This is true, though. I, for one, am happy to welcome our overlord, Elon Musk, to the Twitter sphere. <laughs> and looking forward to what this new general, this new commander-in-chief, this new owner gm gonna do if he can get rid of bots i'm happy if he's gonna charge me five dollars ten dollars a month to have a twitter account not gonna be super happy about that but i hope you guys are excited (laughs) i have one critique of him and if you guys any of you guys follow me on twitter you know what it is it's that he is so criminally unfunny and as someone who prides themselves on their sense of humor he gets the cheapest laughs from people that like i can't tell if they're fucking with me or not like he will say something that's like, oh, like this was funny in 2009, uh, epic bacon, you win the internet for the day. And everyone's like, oh my God, Elon, so fucking funny. I'm like, this guy's not funny at all. He's not funny. 
You can say he's smart, but he's not funny. We're excited. We haven't had a new guest in a while, so we're, we're excited to welcome Mike Vandevort to the show. Mike is a professional marketer and communicator by day, but actor and sports announcer by night. Uh, performing since he was old enough to talk, he is currently one of the actors and producers creating shows for Kevin Pollock's Zooming the Movies on Facebook. That's awesome, dude. For ZTM, he's played icons such as Uncle Buck, Freddy Krueger, and Scooby-Doo, among others. He's also lent his voice in numerous NCAA and minor league sports programs over the last 15 years. And like four of us on the pod, Mike is also a side, which is where he and I actually met a little over a decade ago, just like James and I. But welcome to the show, Mike. Glad to have you, man. How are we doing over there? Yeah, great to great to you know see all you guys. You know, this is uh, this is cool. I'm really excited to be here, to be a part of this. It'll be fun. What's your favorite role that you've played on that on that show? So I think for me personally, I just got to do Tommy Boy. My dad started showing me Chris Farley when I was like five or six, um, and then I started impersonating him probably not that long after, and just kind of ran with it and did an impersonation of him. My entire life, and I kind of loved it, and so I was like, well, I'm going to do Tommy Boy, because I can cast my dad as Brian Dennehy, and my girlfriend <laughs> is Michelle, and I get to be Tommy, and this is going to be fun as hell. So, um, it was awesome. Like, it was one of those things, because like that movie is like my dad and I's relationship, like, to a T. Um, so, like, we are big Tom and Tommy Callahan, so that was, that was really, really fun. <laughs> Birthdays, May 5th, Rigby, what do we got? All right, first up, this man needs no introduction. He is Mr. Henry Cavill, known as Superman and Clark Kent. How old are we thinking Mr. Henry's turning? Hmm. He is so jacked that the only thing I could guess his age on is his hair, and he's still doing pretty well. 34? Oh, we'll go 42. Yeah, I was going to go a little bit older. I'll split the middle. I'll go 37. Ooh, I'll be the dick and go 38. You fucking asshole. <laughs> oh, good guess. 39. Nice oh, job. Dang. Just cucked me right in, <laughs> on, on live podcast. Like, man. Like, man. All right. One for one. Starting off strong. Next up, Adele. Known more for her music, but she does have some, some song performances in some movies, most notably Skyfall from 2012. She looks great, too. She lost so much weight. She did? Um, this is fucking hard. I have no clue, man. <laughs> 35. I'm going to throw 30 on the board. I'll go in the middle, 33. I'll go higher. I'll go 38. Mike, two for two, 34. Ooh. Ace, that's this nice. man. Nice work. Man. Did he get the memo that he's not supposed to Google their, ne- their ages? Did he get that for the show? I'll look him up, I'll tell you. That. All right, that's good. It's good. This one might be a little tricky because I don't know if you guys know who he is. I think Craig probably does because he's a James Cameron fan. Lance Henriksen. He is known for his ser- his role in the Aliens series. And he's also in The Terminator and just a lot of good 70s and 80s movies. I'll throw, throw out there he's 84. Ooh. It is old. I, he's old. I mean, if he was an alien, he was old in Alien, wasn't he? Yeah, I was going to say he he looked like an older dude then and... That was 40 years ago. 81. I'll do 76. 85. K-Man takes it. 82. Dang. All right. I got one. I'll take it. So our guest gets, our guest gets two. Nice job, Mike. Woo. 
five actors that were eligible for this here, episode 61. Those five that we threw onto the wheel before we spun that puppy was Annette Benning, Evan Cheddarbob Jones, Frank Langella, Dylan Minette. Uh, but it didn't matter because the wheel selected Anthony Mackey. And before we get into Mackey's career, it's important to note he's got 76 credits on his resume, mostly film. But he does have some off and on Broadway productions. We'll talk here in a moment about his theater drama background and kind of how that started his career on screen. But before we get into the details of Minutia, we shall see if James can stump us Fast and Furious style. So for those of you uh, new listening and for our new guests, what we do here is I'm about to read off three facts, two of which are going to be true about our man of the hour, Anthony Mackie, and one of them is not going to be true about him, but will be true about one of the many illustrious stars of the Fast and Furious franchise. Uh, the guys here got to guess which fact is not about Anthony Mackie. Fact number one, his father was the starting quarterback for the Florida State Seminoles. Hmm. Fact number two, he was recruited to play Division I football as a free safety. Fact number three, he was once escorted off of Prince's property by security for trying to crash his party. Wow, those are good. I actually know this one. Oh. Lie is number three. That's actually Cardi B, who plays Lisa, who totally saves Dom in F9 by <laughs> impressively impersonating an Interpol tactical team. It's Cardi B. That's my that's my vote. I think the lies three two. I just don't have the Fast and Furious personality to pop up right now. You said Prince, the artist formerly known as. You're, we're talking about the same guy. Did they make uh, pancakes and <laughs> live in the waters of Lake Minnetonka? Oh yeah. Hey, it was it was a good game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say Lucas Black, just because we were talking about Tokyo Drift earlier. Oh please, Lucas Black would escort himself off that property as a like. <laughs> like a protest of Prince or some shit. I'm pretty confident that three is actually true. I'm pretty sure that Anthony Mackie is a huge fan of Prince, and I can see him totally doing that. So I'm going to go with number one, the Florida State quarterback. I think that was uh, Mr. Luda Chris, whose dad was the Florida State quarterback down there. So that's what I'm going to go with is number one. Is that Luda Sr.? Is that right? Yeah. That would be Luda Sr. he is referring to, correct? Luda Chris Ricks. Oh, so Luda Sr. runs Luda Pets. <laughs> and then, so that, all right, that makes sense. That's why, that's why he was doing summer jobs. I think they're all lies, and I think they're all Shea Wiggum facts. I think James is pulling one on us here. Well, I, as much as I would love for that to be the case, it is unfortunately not the case. So I will start with fact number two, was recruited to play Division One football at Free Safety. That is true, and when he shared this story, it's actually pretty funny, so we'll get into it, but he went to art school in high school, and so although he was a big athlete, he had to go to camps to kind of prove himself as an athlete to potentially get a scholarship to go to college, and he was doing really well, and so he started getting looked at when he was in his junior year, and he gets invited to a camp because, again, his art school does not have a football team, and He's like, I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm playing free safety. I can't wait. And he goes, the, the D-back coach comes up to me. He's like, all right, this is what the play is going to happen. He's like, the second the hole is going to open, the running back's going to come through it. He's like, I want you to take his head off. And he's like, and I'm all filled with testosterone. I'm pumped. It's like, absolutely. Uh, ball uh, Line shifts, hole opens up. He goes, I explode 13 yards away. It's like, what I didn't see coming was the biggest white man I've ever seen in my life pulling as a guard. 
He knocked me five yards back, stepped on my chest, kept going. He's like, I saw the running back go right past me. He goes, and that was the last time I ever put a football helmet on. He's like, I unsnapped it and I said, I'm going to be an actor. Like sports just isn't for me. <laughs> Fact number three uh, is true. So he was once escorted off of Prince's property by security for trying to crash his party. So Prince was having a party at his L.A. home, which is obviously in a gated community because Prince is filthy rich. Mackie got his friend Sana Lathan, who is the star of Love and Basketball, who he is friends with, to sneak him because she was invited. And he snuck in by getting into the trunk of her car. (laughs) And they get through security. But when they got through security, it wasn't like, hey, and pull into this sneaky area where you can pop your trunk and not immediately draw attention it was right in front of everyone and so he popped the trunk and security's like nah no <laughs> not happening and he's like all right and they just walked him off he's like and obviously i don't want my friend to leave so she stayed he's like but hey it's like unfortunately i did not get to meet prince because that's a bad way to introduce yourself and fact number one his father was a starting quarterback for the florida state seminoles that isn't about him but that is actually about fast and furious and furious six star Shay Wiggum. I did that for you, Kyle. You were correct. I, I finally was able to find some information on this man. His dad was a big-time athlete, wanted him to play football, wasn't in the cards for him. I wish I wouldn't have just said all three or <laughs> got it right. <laughs> was 33% of the – I'm so proud. James, thank you for this moment. Yeah, Really had good. To, had to look it up, man. Look at that. The Wiggums. Pace, tell us about Mackey's snapshot in box office history. Sort of like he dominated the intramural football scene at his arts school. He uh, dominates the wrong numbers here in the box office metrics. (laughs) As I've said in other podcasts, the metrics I use, I try to level the playing field so that our rankings aren't dominated by basically anybody in an Avengers movie. Here's the categories that I don't include in our official metrics where he finishes very high, mainly due to Avengers Endgame. He ranks first in largest budgeted film, highest opening weekend, highest U.S. gross, and highest profit, all of which he's tied with Hemsworth because of Endgame. Further, he ranks fifth among all of our performers in international box office gross and ninth in average box office. Final number that ranks very highly, again, because of Avengers Endgame, because he ranks on our list, he ranks second in total box office just behind Hemsworth. Pretty impressive numbers. Unfortunately, I don't use all of those. The areas that kill Mackey is currently his star meter is 2,831, which is just a shade uh, ahead of Kyle, <laughs> which ranks him 52nd. His average critic ranking is 52%, ranking him 42nd. And his overall. Movie budgets versus box office performance ranks him 41st and 44th in two different categories. So when you put all those numbers together and compare them against the other actors we're looking at, he comes in at 47th. If you include all categories across the spreadsheet and they're all weighted equally, he comes in at 12th. Hmm. Our official ranking would be 47th. What do you guys think? Once again, shows the Marvel effect Mm -hmm. for the box office. I think it's interesting because it's, as we cover his career, it's he has obviously made money doing these major blockbuster movies, but he's like very much committed to taking indie roles still, mm-hmm. which is going to crush your box office score, of course. Yeah, and it's weird. It's like, do we hold it against somebody that they're in like one of the most successful movies of all time, or 
do we give them credit even though it's a massive ensemble cast? Well, I don't know if I fully agree with you, though, James, because I think we've seen actors who have who do indies but are in critically acclaimed indies true he's not he's in indies that are mm-hmm. that have just not been viewed favorably yeah. by critics and even really not by the audiences it seems like he's done more of the big blockbusters and then the netflix movies he's like done a run of those the last five years well let's dig into this before we talk about reviews the early days of anthony mackie so, born in New Orleans, he's a NOLA guy. I think he's the first NOLA performer we've covered. Born and raised, feels very connected to that, believe still lives there today. His dad was a roofer, so I can relate to that. My dad's a roofer, too. Did he ever get to uh, lead the New Orleans Saints out on the field yet, like Seth Green? Like Seth, Seth Green. Green did? Yeah. No, but he, he did have a pretty honey uh, interaction with Sean Payton. Because he is a he's a big time Saints fan, and they were at a charity golf event, and Peyton had a great one liner. He's like, "That's the first time I've ever golfed with the Falcon. It's probably the last time." That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I did see he participated in the All Star Game weekend for baseball, like, and was like ripping doubles in the softball game, and also played in the the bat NBA All Star Game charity game. But he said the softball game was more fun because the basketball game one of the other celebrities took like 33s and didn't make any of them and he said it was like the worst experience parties were better but the game itself was awful. yeah the other celebrity he's referring to is master p that's who, it who played professional basketball <laughs> he's like and so master p was just chucking shots but none of them were going in I was hoping you were going to say it was philip seymour hoffman <laughs> rain dance rainmaker he got his, his start in the performing arts, going to the NOLA Center for Creative Arts, or his NOCA. His career trajectory took a big step up coming out of NOLA and going to Juilliard. He was classmates with Lee Pace and Tracy Toms. Juilliard, that's a big deal. And I, I imagine for him, coming from a blue-collar family like that, that's his parents probably very proud of him being able to go to Juilliard. And you know, Juilliard grads have quite the leg up dramatically mm-hmm. um, comparatively to their peers. He definitely doesn't shit on other schools he like absolutely though believes in going to school for acting he was Mm -hmm. he's like he's like it made me what he had mentioned is what he sees in actors who haven't gone to get professional training is they're really good at like one or two things and then they play those one or two roles for the rest of their lives it's like and i couldn't be everywhere that i currently am if it wasn't for the professional training i received Mm -hmm. well while he was at juilliard he participated in a stage production called Up Against the Wind. We played Tupac, a little bit of a precursor for what's eventually going to come in his career. So I thought that was a fun connection. His first ever on-screen role was as a bar patron in As If in 2002, just an episode of that. So a brief, quick, brief TV appearance. And then he was, for a time, he was Don Cheadle's understudy, another Marvel connection here for Top Dog, Underdog, for some other plays. So doing some more stage work and shadowing behind some folks who have done some good work there. And got his first awards love on the acting side in 2002 in Carl Hancock's Ruxus Talk, where he got an Obie Award. Win, not just a nom, he won that award in 2002. Early career, it's all stage work. Does an understudy get to work with that lead actor much? So in other words, is Mackie getting to work with Cheadle a lot or no? Early on, when you're doing those reads and you're doing like the character work, yeah, you are generally going to be together so you can kind of work on it together and kind of see how you're going to play certain things. 
and try to sometimes you'll mimic it sometimes you won't but it's yeah there will be some work together first film role is what we're going to go with his first major role and what what a start what a start and that is 2002's eight mile mm-hmm. we rotate reviews every episode for this podcast so if you did first major role next time you go to highest critic go to lowest critic you know a little behind the scenes for the listeners in munson's land well last time i did largest audience gap and so I walk into first major, and who better than the guy from 45 Minutes Northwest to Detroit to do the conversation about 8 Mile. I was so excited. The only thing I wasn't excited about is this movie is not streaming free anywhere right now. (laughs) That's the shitty part, but it's well worth the $4 rent. Oh, yeah. Don't you have it on VHS? I thought... You're given this movie as you leave and move out of that area. It's like, hey, don't forget. Here's your Bob Seger live bullet on on uh, on vinyl. Vinyl. Your Devil Without a Cause CD with a middle finger on it, and your Eight Mile VHS. Exactly. Right? We'll start it. Don't forget where you came from. That sounds like a pretty good combo, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. I would be lying if I didn't own all three of those things at one point. In time. <laughs> <laughs> your points are very clear. Just to kind of give you a little bit of background about understanding this movie and where I come from. So I grew up in a trailer park on the northwest side of Oakland County, which is about 45 minutes northwest of Detroit. I also listened to the Marshall Mathers LP to the point where you couldn't listen to it anymore growing up because CDs, kids, if you're listening to this today and you don't understand how compact discs work, people come up with really stupid things to try to treat them and we just treat them like shit. And so after a certain point, it sounds like Rigby's mic and you can't hear it anymore. It's terrible. (laughs) That album and I were besties growing up. I grew up in the 248, not the 313, but I'll get into that. I'm going to kind of use my platform. This is going to be a long review. I'm just letting you guys know. Oh, I'm pumped. Bring it. I'm going to do some educating. That's what I'm going to do. A little bit of that. But everybody knows about this movie. Everybody since this movie knows about the road eight mile most people don't know shit about the road itself they just know it's a road that eminem lived near in the movie or jimmy smith who isn't a corner for the baltimore ravens but a character in this movie let let me start with this uh detroit geography is not terribly complicated right if you the farther north you go the mile roads go up so eight mile road is a very crucial geographical separation between wayne county and Oakland and Macomb counties. So where I grew up in Oakland County is at a, at a time was like the fourth or fifth most rich county in the country. And I lived in the poor northwest corner, so don't cast any aspersions. I said I grew up in a trailer park, so connect the dots there. But a pretty rich county. That's where all the athletes live. That's, you know, like Rochester Hills, Birmingham, Troy, like re- a lot of money in south- southeast Michigan. Wayne County, not so much, right? There's a much different tax base. So what you'll notice when you travel up 8 Mile or you're traveling south on 75 is that because of the tax base is so different, it's an immediate change in setting poverty when you cross 8 Mile. So that's why 8 Mile is such a big deal because there's a significant difference in the environment that you're in. So when they say take your ass back across 8 Mile, it's like this fundamental divide between Detroiters and non-Detroiters. So that's a, a little bit of background for you all on that. That's like classic civil engineering shit that mm-hmm. Buttigieg said like, oh, you know, there's racism in city planning. And people's like, oh, how is that? Pot? I was like, this is how. That's the yep. exact way. Mm-hmm. 
And also, Cranbrook is a real private school, not made up for the movie. The, the one that Papa Doc, which Anthony Mackie plays, is a real school, real private school near Detroit. A couple nuggets about the movie, but with $51 million in its first weekend in the box office, it was the second biggest opening ever for a rated R film. Wow. So this movie, The Hype Machine, was huge. Huge. Impressive. Let me get to Mackie. So Mackie plays Papa Doc. He's kind of the biggest bad in the rap battle game. He leads the free world. The The movie is really contingent on you hating the free world. Like you, it's built on that, that you're going to hate them and align with Jimmy, the rabbit. And a lot of that is because Mackie in his first ever film role, I think does a damn good job mm-hmm. taking his theater background and going in there and just absolutely creating this intimidating environment and atmosphere as for his character. He's pretty diabolical. He's a gun toter, you know what I mean? He he wants to murder Eminem's character at one point in time in the movie. So I'll toss it out to you guys. Thoughts on Mackie and 8 Mile? What I learned researching for this, because I, I loved 8 Mile, similar to you in that I thought the Marshall Mathers LP, I think it was like when I was in like fifth or sixth grade, and I played it like five times a day for that whole summer as I was like, throwing a football with my friends as I'm screaming just the worst obscenities at the top of my lungs. But I found out researching for this, that the famous final battle, Eminem had actually had like kind of like an outline of what he wanted to say. So he knew he was going to reveal all the stuff about himself. He's like, you know, I'm going to take away what you could diss me for, but he didn't really know what he was going to say about Anthony Mackie's character. And so he approached Anthony Mackie, who at the time he's like, in his early twenties, like he's fresh out of college Mm -hmm. and he's like, Hey man, like, you know, it's been great working with you. I don't want you to take offense to like anything I say. Cause obviously this is a, we're acting here, but I'm going to like put some stuff about you in the rap. And Anthony Mackie's like, uh, like me, the character or me, the person he's like, you, the person he's like, and I'm kind of overwhelmed because Eminem's a superstar at this part at this point. So I was like, Okay, sure. And so (laughs) the things that he roasts him for are actually true about Anthony Mackie. Parents, right? Grew up in a nice house. His parents have a very good marriage. He went to a private school. He's like, all of that stuff was because Eminem like Googled me and was like, this is what I'm going to make fun of him for. He's like, and it's the most iconic line in the movie. (laughs) Like, and Clarence's parents have a real good marriage. (laughs) It's like, it's like, dude, that was me. He was talking about me. And he's like, I approached the director. He's like, so, like, do you think I rebuttal him? He's like, no, I wrote this scene specifically for you to not say anything. He's like, damn, I'm just going to get roasted by Eminem. I, had no, I thought that was so cool. <laughs> yeah, Kyle, you used the word intimidating. Um, I would actually go more even further than that. I, he's, like, terrifying in this movie. I saw it when it came out opening night. Uh, I think I was in eighth grade. Um, and I just remember being just, like, totally enthralled with not only all the performances, but Eminem for, for you know, for tops, but... Anthony Mackie was great in this. And the fact that it was his first role, while he doesn't have a lot of speaking parts, he just, his body language and just like the way he's in control of this gang that you, like you said, you're, you're kind of trained from the opening scene to like cheer against. He was great. And talk about a really powerful, impactful uh, first role. It's just a lot of one, one line reads where you'd be like, Mm -hmm. what are you going to do about a bitch? And then, then they move on. Continue. Remember leaving the theater thinking this, and I still think this to to this day upon review, is I don't think Eminem won the second battle versus Lotto. No. I think I think he lost that one. Dude, Lotto I mean, was fire. <laughs> yeah, he, the, he, was, 
he was at his neck the whole time and like he had a couple good lines but i think i think lotto won that one but that's fine that's fine i get it. it's for the movie i agree um i did make a couple other notes here of things that i thought were interesting it was really my first awareness of Michael Shannon as an actor mm. in my younger days. And I love him as Greg. He's ball. such a dick in that movie. And Michael Shannon's become one of my, so he's become one of my favorite actors. And it all started with, with this. Evan Jones, our boy played Chatter Bob. The, the fun fact I thought you were going to share James is that I read that Seth Rogen and Jason Siegel both auditioned for Cheddar Bob. What? And they did it together. What? <laughs> yes. They both auditioned for the role of Cheddar Bob. I'm, happy they did not get that role because they would have completely taken me out i think the movie would have suffered with seth rogan as cheddar bob so i agree and i will say this lose yourself as the movie ends still hits every time because for a song that won the oscar you get little bits and pieces throughout the movie right as he's formulating and writing the movie writing the song as they play it as he's walking away down the alley you get chills you get chills watching it so i was very happy that i got eight mile and Anthony Mackie, absolutely incredible out of the gate for his first film role ever. And I'll always be impressed by how sneaky good Eminem is as an actor. I did not, like, I know he was playing himself here, but then he's been in cameos where he, again, is playing himself, but, like, he's not uncomfortable. How am I going to kill that dude from Leave it to Beaver? <laughs> Said, fuck Free World, 313. Yes. There's the 313 in Detroit. There's the 810 just north of 8 Mile, kind of in Macomb, and then 248, which is the Oakland County folks. That's me. I'm here to tell people about geography and area codes in Detroit. You've done a marvelous job. I like that. I, that 8 Mile uh, lesson was very, very interesting, Kyle. I didn't know that. All about fucking economics with 8 Mile at this moment. But you got to remember, Detroit used to be a pretty thriving area up until the late 60s. And if you want to get the real history lesson... It's the riots in the late 60s, which we're going to talk about the movie Detroit here in a little bit. It's going to connect to that. Yeah. That is when the entire economic situation changed and led to the downfall of where kind of Detroit's obviously raised itself back up to some prominence. But you get outside of downtown, it looks like a war zone in a lot of places. It's pretty awful. A couple more years before our next review, Law and Order, Criminal Intent. One episode of this, like James always says, he's not from New York, but, you know, I feel like every actor has to do a Law & Order episode. People still recognize him to this day, and he's usually, like, older women in their, like, 50s and 60s will see him on the street and be like, that's what they'll recognize him from. <laughs> he said that in his Hot Ones interview, so I think it's interesting. I mean, Juilliard's in New York City, so this yeah. is like the, if you're not on Broadway, there's one show that films here and this is it so <laughs> get a role here his second movie manchurian candidate the remake in 2004 alongside denzel played robert one of the soldiers who is abused and i believe is the one denzel actually has to kill at the end of the movie this movie blows <laughs> <laughs> not as good as the original the original is a classic it's fucking awesome this one sucks i hate it i hated this version Let's move to a movie that is just fucking batshit. Spike Lee's She Hate Me, 2004. It plays Jack. Go ahead. I'll just open it up. I'm not even going to say anything. That movie is the epitome of the phrase, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and just like, in, not even like in a terrible way. It's just like every like 10 minutes, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? The general gist of it is, is he is this 30 year old VP at a, a medical company. Um, and they start doing some unethical things. He blows the whistle. 
they find out about it, and so they kind of take revenge and try to pin everything on him. Part of that is he loses his job. And so when he loses his job, his ex-wife, who's Carrie Washington, who is now a lesbian, her and her partner want to get pregnant, and they want him to be the sperm donor. But they want to do it traditionally and pay him a lot of money. Oh, and they also have a bunch of friends that are also lesbians that also want his magic sperm. It's like, that's the story. So he basically becomes this, like, sperm donor to the stars. And, <laughs> like, it just kind of goes from there. And he gets wrapped up with the mob and the SEC and Woody Harrelson is there. And it just... Mm-hmm. It's wild, man. But it is, and the the animation of that magic sperm doing their thing is quite possibly one of the weirdest yet greatest things I have ever seen on a Sunday afternoon. About sixty to seventy little spermies on the screen, all with Anthony Mackie's face just going everywhere. Oh man! So my my thought process on that too was, can you just imagine the green screen sessions where they're like. Because it's not just, like, all the same face doing the same thing at the same time. It's clearly multiple recordings of his face saying, like, oh, you're a sperm now. Now now you're going to crash into the other sperm so he doesn't get to the egg first. And then you're going to laugh about it as you go off to the egg. Oh, and then this one, you're going to make a nice little smug wink at the camera and then go off to the egg. You're saying he was testing his acting abilities in this picture. The range of just the 60 sperm faces alone <laughs> is worthy of his Juilliard degree. I will tell you that right now. Uh, score just went up for me on that one. That's a new one. He got his money's worth, his Juilliard money worth. I think everybody should watch She Hate Me. Not because it's a great movie, but because you need to see Spike Lee just going, doing whatever he wants. Just doing whatever he wants. Yeah, and super intense sex scenes in this, too. Oh, yeah. Those montages were so funny because it'd be five lesbians that he's sleeping with to impregnate, and they all have very different sexual styles. And just watching him back-to-back go from, like, getting choked to, like, having a girl, like, cry on him to all these... <laughs> I just laughed during all these fucking sequences, man. Well, if you, if you want to know how Mackie feels about it, he absolutely loves Spike Lee. He says he's learned more from working with Spike Lee than he completely expected to imagine, like it inspired him. And then he goes, and it sucks to be a part of his like one film that everyone hates. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I was expecting my career to just take off. You know, you get a Spike Lee film after, you know, you've been in an Oscar winning film. He's like, you just think, you know, the sky's the limit. And everyone's like, no, nah, that movie stunk. And he's like, and there I was, just still at the starting blocks. It's a great point. And think about it as an actor. Like, you're, what, third movie at this moment? You probably haven't really done a whole lot of sex scenes, if any. Like, a lot of actors are three movies in, and you get thrown into a movie where you have 25 sex scenes. <laughs> like, immediately. <laughs> I am the veteran. You want to know how yeah, to do yeah. sex scenes? I know. I am the guy. <laughs> no wonder he likes Spike Lee so much. Jesus. Yeah, I was about to say, Spike had me busting nuts every day uh, <laughs> at work. <laughs> Always curious why he waited so long to marry his high school sweetheart, and now it all makes sense. <laughs> at the end of the last episode, Rigby was like, Mackie's in a couple Spike Lee films, and I was like, I don't know which one. And I was like, oh, this one. This is the one right here. Oh, the, the worst one. Well, he goes from bottom of the barrel Spike Lee to... Uh, an Oscar-nominated movie, Million Dollar Baby, he played Shaurel, the cocky boxer who beats the ever-living shit out of Jay Baruchel at one point in the movie. Poor yeah, guy. This is a pretty small role for him, but just 
just being associated with, you know, in his first handful of movies, the fact that he's in an Oscar winner for Best Picture, just kind of being in that Clint Eastwood universe was was huge. It, and he's also like, he's really good, too, because like you said, it's a small part, but the fact that you are cheering so hard when Morgan Freeman is beating the crap out of him just tells you how good he is at being that perfect asshole. Yeah. He's a great antagonizer. He does a he does yeah. a good job of that. He gets on your nerves really really <laughs> easily in this movie. Same year, so t- two thousand four was a big year for him because he had She Hate Me, Million Dollar Baby, and then one of his only other movies that has any type of awards recognition, and that's Brother to Brother. Plays Perry. It's a LGBTQ story where he he plays a gay character. He got an in- Independent Spirit Award nomination for Best Actor. I rented it for three bucks. It was okay. Not a, it's not a great movie, but. Early on, Eastwood, Spike Lee, and then going to play a gay character in the mid-2000s. That's a bold choice. Certainly didn't have to take that kind of role on at all. But then we hit Largest Audience Gap, which is Haven, 2004, and Case has it. Mackie's career is really really starting to soar here with uh, Haven. Is this about witches? No. I wish. It'd be way better for about witches. Haven is a 2004 film that is part heist movie action movie, gritty street movie, and a suspense thriller. Honestly, there is so much going on in this movie. It'd be impossible for me to cover and summarize. If I'm being honest, this show probably would have been much better off as like a streaming series. I'm certainly not comparing it to Ozarks, but like in Ozarks, where you've got a, a long run where you could you could explore some of these subplots that are going on in this movie. What I will say is that this movie has an unreal cast. It's got Orlando Bloom, Zoe Saldana, and this is 2004, so this is like Pirates of the Caribbean fame right now for Orlando Bloom. And Saldana. And Saldana. Anthony Mackie, our boys in it. Bill Paxton, the man. Stephen Delane. Bobby Cannavale, Robert Wisdom. While this is a really good cast, I do think it was awfully miscast. In one of the random storylines, Saldana, one of Orlando Bloom's friends, he and his friend are talking back and forth, and they're going on and on about how Saldana's character is finally legal. And on her birthday, she and Orlando Bloom are going to have sex. Mackie is within the same age range. So you're sitting here going, okay, so they're probably somewhere between 17 and 19 years old, depending on what's really going on in the story, which I couldn't figure out. They were all 26 years old when this movie came out. So they were nowhere near teenager, and none of them looked like they were in high school. Final nugget that I found about this movie, because I, I, I don't want to be left out of the bringing up sex scenes in movies discussions like you guys have been doing. This is a uh, semi-famous movie that Saldana and Bloom both criticized their love scenes in the movie. Coincidentally, after the critics shredded this movie publicly, these two came out and were like, yeah, I hated this movie too. Saldana disliked that there were numerous people on the set watching and that the scenes were too hot and she was getting sweaty. And conversely, Bloom didn't appreciate that Saldana's boyfriend was on the set watching him make out with her and that she was too sweaty. And it should be noted that this is actually the second time they've worked together and also the last. As it relates to Mackie, for the Caribbean accent in this movie, he's fine. And his, his role is pretty straightforward. He's basically just playing an overprotective, angry brother, trying to be menacing, Kind of, you know, almost a throwback to his eight mile role 
whole movie, he's just basically scowling and looking for a fight. He does fine in this movie. Uh, I think with the poor plot and the poor writing in this movie, it's really tough to be overcritical of anyone in this movie. I think he did fine. As for the critic and fan split, man, I got no idea how this scored high with audiences. 60% for audiences, yeah. This is the first time I've ever heard of this movie and seen it, and I'm firmly on the side of the critics on this one. Yeah, I, I stumbled upon it too during you know during my rewatch of everything, and it was on HBO Max or one of the one of the more prominent streaming services. And I saw the cast, and I was like, "Oh, okay, like this this could be kind of good." And then, yeah, like you said, it's so confusing. I had no idea what was going on because there's like four different storylines, and Anthony Mackie, it, like you said, is straightforward. Although I do love the fact that his character's name is Hammer, and the way that they explain the nickname oh, is absolutely- yeah where it's Orlando Bloom like just talking to one of his buddies and he's like well you know how you got the name Hammer right and the butt guy's like nah because he's like really tough or something and he's like no Zoe Saldana hit him in the head with a, with a hammer when he was four years old and it's like what the hell it's like yeah he's got a dent in the middle of his forehead like, what so Craig you're gonna fall on the critic side the 13% here a little bit closer to that than the 60 for the audience I would give it maybe 20 20 Ooh, not good no no would you still stand by being the boys from the hood from the Cayman Islands? So that would <laughs> yes. <to> go with. <laughs> well, the way I, I kind of start reviewing movies harshly is how many times I have to, how many sittings I have to watch it in. And when I texted you guys that this movie's trying to be the boys of the hood of the Caribbean, that was my third session of trying to watch this movie. So I do stand by that line. I think that holds up. I was going to do my whole review with a Caribbean accent, but I thought that might be in poor taste. Yeah, we might. Get some flack for that. Unless you can do it like Mackie and pull it off. I, you know, but I, I don't know if I have that much faith in you, Craig. Me neither. A couple of years here before our next big review, we've got his role as Nate in We Are Marshall 2006. Plays safety just like he did back in the day. It's the heart and soul of that team. He's kept the heart and soul of the movie in a lot of ways. He really is because he's one of the few surviving members of the team from the year before. And he and Matthew Fox, who's his coach, mm-hmm. they they have a really good sort of rapport with each other, even though, you know, their their interactions are intense. But, yeah, I, I like this movie and I, I feel like it's it's kind of always forgotten about for like really good football movies. But but, yeah, I like Mackie in this a lot. And he he hits pretty hard for being a, uh, a bad free safety. <laughs> of all the roles that I've seen with him, this is one that I think he puts the most emotional work in. Like you're you're seeing him shed some tears. You're seeing him be angry. You're seeing him be happy. He's the full range here. So Anthony Mackie, I think he, I want to say he was hurt, and that's why he his character was hurt, and that's why he wasn't on the plane. So he loses a bunch of his teammates, and so he's kind of like the emotional and and moral leader for the team. It's a pretty, it's a very sad emotional movie for sure. I was gonna say I used to live out in that area of the country, like you know the Shenandoah Valley, you know Western Virginia and West Virginia, and it's very highly regarded around that area of the country and like where Marshall is and stuff. So a lot of people like the movie and the performances in it. So that's mm-hmm. I know that's always a positive too. And you've got that community that was impacted by it, looking back on it and saying like, yeah, this was a good representation. To Mike's point, I think the locals could hate it, right? They could be like, you're taking advantage of our story to make money. In this case, I don't. I think they felt like they did a pretty good job stand true half nelson 2006 it's one of those like smaller indie movies that people always reference with it's a ryan gosling movie about 
a teacher who is trying to do the best he can in kind of inner city schools, but also is a user himself. Mm -hmm. And so you run into this like ethical back and forth between him trying to be supportive and keep kids from going into the life. But he is dealing with his own demons. And Mackie plays Frank, a drug dealer who it's kind of the pull, the back and forth with this, this young girl. Gosson's trying to keep her away from Mackie because Mackie could pull her into that life that where he doesn't want her to go. This is one of uh, Mackie's better box office performances, too. This movie had a $700,000 budget and pulled in nearly five mil. Wow. Very good. Yeah. Anthony Mackie, again, playing a great uh, antagonistic villain in this. Mm-hmm. And this is a 91-82. Generally beloved movie. And it's short, too. It's like an hour and a half. I watched it for the first time for this podcast, and I was wildly impressed. I did not expect the story to kind of go the way it did, and it's... It's shown in a way that I think is a cool way to tell a story and that it's, you know, the people this little girl looks up to are flawed and it's very realistic. It's like someone you could look at as like, oh, that's my favorite teacher. You know, he's obviously a good person. It's not necessarily true. And it's, oh, this guy looks out for my family. He loves me. He's not necessarily looking out for your best interests. And it's a lot for a, like a 12-year-old to to kind of comprehend. There's some good nuanced characters in this too. But like you said, I liked it a lot better than I thought I would for sure. So it's a solid one. I, I think more average viewers should get into it. I think like critic movie nerds know about it, but I don't think the larger population. You get to see two liabilities at free safety square off. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> people forget that yeah. Gosling just can't cover shit. He's just not, he's taken out. You don't want him in one-on-one. <laughs> Was Donald Faison in this movie and I just missed him? Was Petey in here too? <laughs> I don't know. Did I miss that? Petey was a great running back. Everyone knows that. Eagle Eye, 2008, plays some military personnel who uh, helps take down the uh, the supercomputer who's causing all the havoc. I enjoyed this movie. I don't know what the general feel is, but I enjoyed watching this movie. It was kind of one of those early Big Brother movies, right? I mean... This was the, the first time a movie ever introduced the concept to me uh, that... Waking up with $10 million in your bank account is actually a scary proposition to have. And I was like, <laughs> you know what? That would actually be kind of weird now that I think of it. <laughs> Where he's like, what the fuck is this? He's picked pretty cool movies up until this point. Yes. I'd be curious as to if he's really involved in role selection or if it's representation. If it's representation, he's hired the right people. And if it's him... I applaud him for the movies that he gets into because they're cool projects. He's playing a wide variety of types of characters up to this point in his career. Give him credit for that. Right. And then he's doing some more theater work around this time too. So he did three plays from August Wilson, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, as we know, that turned into a film version and won some awards a couple years back, Fences and Jitney all in 2008 as well. Very, very busy performer. And then again, picked another really cool movie that won some awards. And a nice critic score, which is The Hurt Locker, 2008, and James has it. Good movie. I know that I normally bitch about the movies that I get assigned here, but I've been on a hot streak recently, and it, it continues with The Hurt Locker. I was, I was a fan of this movie when I first saw it, fan still as I rewatch it. This movie's filmed during uh, the Iraq War, and it follows a sergeant who's recently been assigned to the Army Bomb Squad, and he's kind of at odds with the guys that he's working with. And the reason why is this sergeant, who's played by Jeremy Renner, he's taking over this highly trained bomb squad. So their job is to defuse 
you know, I, what was it? IEDs, the, the roadside bombs that were everywhere in Iraq and his subordinates who are played by Brian Garrity and our man, Anthony Mackey. Uh, the reason why they're at odds is because Renner is recklessly just plunging them into like an adrenaline junkies idea of fun. And he's behaving as if he's indifferent to death. And I think what makes this movie so fascinating to me is that like this movie's about the Iraq war, like similarly as full metal jacket is about Vietnam and that like, it's not political at all. It's more so a character study of these soldiers. Mm. And so it's like the Iraq war is just a setting. It's a backdrop. And really what this is, this movie is, is trying to tell a story about these soldiers and their, their experience during it both physically and emotionally. This movie suspenseful. It's an action thriller. And what I think I like about it most is that while it's an action thriller and you're on kind of your edge of your seat because these bombs can go off at any moment, it's, it's not about action heroes. Like Renner and Mackey aren't action heroes. They're specialists and they're flawed humans. And they look at this as a job and it just happens to be taking place during something that no one could you know, emotionally be prepared for. And so when you look at some of the reviews that this has received, uh, obviously people love it. It won Best Picture uh, at the Academy Awards. But there are some people who genuinely dislike this movie and their criticisms of it are like, it's boring. And they're like, oh, this, you know, like, wow, this isn't really an action movie. It's like, it's not an action movie. And you're going to watch people explode. And you're going to watch bombs go off. And it's filmed during war. And this movie is not about that. It is 100% about these soldiers and how they can comprehend what they're going through. And I think Mackie does a great job in it. Obviously Renner is the star of the movie, but I think Mackie plays a really good kind of straight man to Renner's wild man where he's like, Hey, we should follow the letter of the law. We should do as we're told. We should follow the orders. And Renner is not about that life at all, mm-hmm. but I, I really enjoyed it. And I would, I would love to hear your guys thoughts on it as well. Is this a Catherine Bigelow? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. And it's his first of a couple times working with her. It actually beat Avatar for Best Picture. James Cameron as Catherine Bigelow's ex-husband. Yeah. Oh, that's right. This movie made me feel two things. I remember one of the criticisms of The Hateful Eight was that the movie was filmed in a way that made you feel cold in the movie theater. I felt uncomfortably warm watching this movie. I thought she put me in the desert, basically. And then the amount of anxiety and stress that I felt during some of the intense bomb diffusing scenes was not something I was used to watching movies. I, I was really impressed with the direction of of this and, and really everything involved. I agree 100%, James. The thing you mentioned is funny because uh, when you look up um, Jeremy Renner performing this in this role, Catherine Bigelow said like he has a very specific kind of gait to his walk and they couldn't get any of the stuntmen to like not kind of stand out when they were filming any of the bomb scenes. And so what they did is Renner actually did the, uh, put the suit on himself. And it's like a hundred They were filming this in like, I think it was Kuwait. So it's like 115 degrees. And so when you see these actors who are oh. dying, covered in sweat during this movie, that's because they are covered in sweat and dying during this movie. They're absolutely uh, getting cooked out there. Wow. It is one of the most powerful movies I think I've ever seen. Like, I just remember being, like, really affected by it, like, when I saw it, especially because I have an aunt and uncle who were both in the Marine Corps for, like, 30 years, and my aunt was a logistics specialist in Kuwait during, um, while a lot of this was going on and stuff, 
And because she is Punjabi, she also speaks Arabic as well. She has the look. Um, so she was also like translating and like going out in doing like community relations in a sense. And I remember when this came out, she and her husband, my uncle, who was not nearly as dangerous of situations, they both said like, this is by far the most realistic depiction of what we went through. Oh, wow. Of like anything. Wow. And I still specifically remember my, my uncle telling me that the scene where Jeremy Renner is in the grocery store and he just gets overwhelmed by the options and just doesn't know what the hell to do because there's too many cereal options. He's like, he's like, your aunt literally did that. Like she went to the grocery store and then came home with nothing and said, you have to go grocery shopping because there's too many things and I can't do it. A little nuances. Yeah. Those little things. This movie, like they said, this movie just nailed the experience and the kind of like the coping and the, the transition of coming home after everything. And they said it's really, it's the performances and just like how well those actors captured all of that. So, you know, Mackie is a, he's a physical presence in this movie and the fact that he can't intimidate Renner in any way, shape or form. And you can tell it frustrates him that like he's, there's a manly quote unquote manlier man than him there. And it's really that Jeremy Renner is, no longer like connected to reality in the same way that everyone else is. Yeah. And I love the scene where he asks him, he's like, Hey man, do you think I could put the suit on? And you could tell he's begging for Renner to say, yeah. And Renner w- refuses to give him an inch. He goes, no way, dude. He's like, you can never be me. He's like, it'll never happen. Two quick facts. This is the lowest grossing best picture winner of all time made $14 million. And Anthony Mackie's role was initially offered to and turned down by Colin Farrell. Ooh. Okay, so that was highest critic score. Two years before our next review, the the next big role here is Notorious, a movie we talked about in the Angela Bassett episode a few episodes back. He plays Tupac, so there's that Tupac connection. And I don't know if it's the best Tupac interpretation. I don't know. I don't. I think the jury's still out for me on how I feel about his Tupac interpretation. Did anybody ask Jada Pinkett Smith? Too soon. <laughs> for some i don't know how it happened but i grew up being a gigantic biggie fan and when watching this movie i was in utter shock at how much this man had accomplished before like the age of like 23 and how little i had accomplished when i saw this movie i was like wait he's the same age as me in this movie when he gets killed are you kidding me I'm a real piece of shit. Like, I gotta start working more. Damn. Influential character in Tupac from a pop culture standpoint. So there's that. Whether or not you think he nailed Tupac or not, he at least played Tupac. So we'll give him that. Uh, same year, he's in a movie called, called Desert Flower. as Harold, a, a movie about what topic case? Just so we're just so we're talking about different types of roles he's taken on. Uh, female circumcision. Got it. Nailed it. We're going to stop it there because no one came for that. <laughs> but they didn't come to the Willem Dafoe episode to hear us talk about his dick the whole time, so you get what you get sometimes, you know? Yeah, Mike's like, what? Why wouldn't you? Guy's got a hog between his legs. By the way, Desert Flower did make $15 million in the box office, so... Oh, wow. So there's a market for it. Speaking of doing something a little bit different, he narrated the 30 for 30, uh, the best that it never was in 2010 about Marcus Dupree. Oh, shit. I didn't realize that was him. You done learn today. Great story. Well, let's learn a little bit about his largest critic app, which is Night Catches Us from 2010. Rigby, 
has the review. Yeah, so this is a 2010 drama film starring Anthony Mackie and Kerry Washington. The movie takes place in Philadelphia in the mid-1970s, and Anthony Mackie plays a former member of the Black Panthers who returns to his hometown, Philadelphia, uh, for the funeral of his father. His character, Marcus, has spent time in prison, and when he returns to Philadelphia, he's met with animosity and uh, a lot of anger from his old friends because he is thought to have snitched on a former Black Panther member, and that led to that Black Panther member's death. So, as I said, people in his hometown don't really trust him, and they aren't really happy to see him. It's kind of similar to... If you've ever seen American History X, when Edward Norton's character kind of comes back and everyone looks at him as as sort of the the guy that nobody really wants around. Um, that's kind of how I felt after watching this movie. The only person who really doesn't feel animosity towards him is the person that you would think would, and that's Kerry Washington's character, who is the man's widow. The movie is basically about their relationship, which is at times... It seems like it's like a forbidden love, basically. Like, you know these two have a history together and they really want each other, but you kind of know, they both know in their hearts that it's never really going to work out. So it's like, how long can this sort of back and forth go on? I would say the film explores a common theme that, you know, these type of movies always portray, which is a guy with a bad past returns to his hometown and he's trying to live a new life and kind of make up for what, what happened each day. It's a pretty emotional and raw movie because it deals with, like I said, living with regret, but also death and family dynamics. And, and you know, there is a, a, young, a young member of, of Kerry Washington's family. He is involved in, in violence similar to the way that um, Mackie's character as a Black Panther was growing up. And sees, he sees this as like a way for him going down a hole that he doesn't want to go down. I would say Mackie is... Mackie's good in this. Kerry Washington is great. They have very good chemistry together. And I totally bought them as this sort of forbidden love duo that really do have feelings for each other, but are, are destined to really never be together. Um, and it was good. I liked it. I really did. I had never heard of it before this podcast. And um, it was actually one of the first movies that I recall that actually dealt with Black, the Black Panthers, the group from the 60s and 70s. Not a uh, a topic that I that I've seen a lot in film, so that was super interesting to me. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I don't know if anybody else got to see this or not. Very different character dynamic between he and Carrie in this one versus she hate me six years earlier. <laughs> I would say so. It, it, I think what I liked about it is I'll be I'll be honest. This doesn't have like a happy ending to it. It's it's no. It's pretty. When it ends, you're like, okay, I can see why that happened, but it's not it's not a Hollywood ending for sure. And I think I really appreciated that. Yeah, I I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. I, I guess I was watching it more with the lens of, like, the romance was kind of like this side story, and I was paying more attention to, like, him trying to, like, right these wrongs and trying to, like, steer the, young, the younger guy in, like, a different direction and try to be, like, the positive role model that wasn't around anymore and all that kind of stuff. And it was... I yeah, I like walked away from it going like there were a couple of movies where I sat there and was like, This is Captain this is Sam Wilson and he's just, you know, doing his thing. But like this movie and like a couple others, that's like really like, oh, this is I believed he really was that character that he was portraying and like I really thought I thought he was really good. I thought him and Kerry Washington both were really good. But yeah, definitely a jarring jar to the senses to watch this <laughs> and then go watch She Hate Me right after it. 
Where we just be like, huh, so this is the progression of the relationship, huh? Like, that she becomes a lesbian and starts dating Danny Gutierrez or whatever that actress's name is, and like, this is what he becomes. Oh, okay. Like, there we go. Got it. Sounds good. So where do you guys fall on the, the critic scale? So 81 critics, 66 audience. Where, where would you sit on that? I'd say 75. Yeah, I'd split the difference, but I'd probably lean a little more towards the critics and say, yeah, like a 74, 75 is probably exactly where I'd put okay. it to. So right, right down the middle. Yeah, it's a good flick. I liked it. I have no, no complaints about it at all. That was nice. Nice, compact, hour 30. Love that. So he was in an off-Broadway play called um, A Behanding in Spokane um, in 2010 as well. And that that's written by Martin McDonough, who did um, In Bruges and uh, Three Billboards in Missouri, outside Ebbing, Missouri, who's a fantastic, fantastic writer. So the whole general gist of it is, is that this like young couple is in this seedy hotel, and they like come across a man who's looking for his hand, who, when I saw it, was played by Anthony Mackie and Zoe Kazan. The old man with one hand was Christopher Walken. Oh, cool. Yeah, and then the hotel manager, who is probably my favorite character, because right before intermission, he goes on like a 10-minute monologue about how the bonobo is the greatest of the primates. I love and the bonobo. Hilarious. And then when we, and when we saw it, that role was played by Sam Rockwell. Oh, see. Oh, man. <laughs> it literally was the most stacked cast you could think of. And we went and saw it, and it, it, it was a hilarious. It's, you know, Martin McDonough, it's all dark comedy, but it was absolutely hilarious. I've heard of it before. Yeah, and it was it was wonderful. I just loved the show. I heard of it. So we were there. I was, you know, I was in college at the time. We had seen that show, and we were at one of the bars, basically between the theater where Mackie was performing and where this play was being performed. And we were there, it was, you know, like 10, 30, 11 o'clock. So it's after a lot of the shows are starting to let out. And we're sitting there at the bar and this guy walks in and I just kind of look over and go, that's Anthony Mackie. And one of the guys that we're sitting there with goes, yeah, he's like, yeah, let's invite him over. Let's, let's buy him a drink. And so he literally just is like, hey, Anthony, Anthony. And he beckons him over to the, to our table buys him a beer and literally is just like, oh yeah. And so it's me and my dad and this, like these two older board members talking to Anthony Mackie. And I'm just like, <laughs> you're, you're, you're the guy from eight mile. Um, <laughs> I, I saw you last night. You're, you're, you're fantastic. Like your show. And he was just so humble about everything. He was like, Oh, so you like you an actor too, man. And I was like, yeah, like I'm going to school to be an actor. He's like, Oh, he's like, so where are you at? And like, like you said, the whole, you could tell he was really cool about like, oh, you're studying acting. Like, that's awesome. Like, he was really like supportive of that. And so it's like the fact that he talks about in Hot Ones that he, you know, he's really big on that. Like, that makes sense. And he was super cool, hung out with us, had his beer for like 10 minutes, and then like, you know, politely said goodbye and kind of walked off and over to wherever else he was going. But like, it was this really cool thing when you're a 20 year old kid who's like studying acting and it's like, that. That that's a big time movie star that just literally came over and had a beer with my dad and I. Like that is one of the coolest that's awesome. moments I could ever imagine happening. And it was in this crowded bar in New York City. That's cool. Only a couple of years later, when he starts doing Marvel stuff, that like he wouldn't be able to go out and about like that without getting swamped by people. So you caught him at the right time. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like he's doing an off Broadway play. Like he was still kind of like you knew him from the Hurt Locker, you knew him from Eight Mile, but like he wasn't this huge name yet. But it was like oh. He's just walking into a bar. I added a point to my score for, for that story. I love hearing that people are down to earth like that. Yeah, very, very cool laid back guy. I'm assuming you guys stayed in touch. <laughs> oh, for sure. We, you know, speed dial right now. Just call him up, let him know we're doing the episode. Um, Adjustment Bureau 2011, another movie that people 
I think, constantly associated with Anthony Mackie. Mm-hmm. Also with Emily Blunt. So we have covered it before. I enjoyed Adjustment Bureau. It's a guilty pleasure of mine. I'm not the most religious of people, and it's it's definitely got a religious tone to it, but it's fun. And it's fun, and it's, it's twisty and turny, and I guess he kind of just plays like the straight man to Matt Damon's kind of neurotic, am I going through a mental breakdown kind of vibe there, but I, I enjoyed it. It's a big role. It's a, I think he's probably top three build in that one, after Damon and Matt. It's also the the dude from uh, Mad Men who I never remember his name. John Slattery. There you go. Yeah, with the beautiful white head of hair. Mm-hmm. Real Steel 2011 plays Finn, a fight promoter. His role is not huge in this movie, but I had never seen it before, so I was actually mildly excited to check it out. And it's a father-son story, ultimately, just around technology and robots and stuff like that. It's like Rocky if you put robots in the mix. And melodramatic sequences. He is adding together a long list of A level celebrities that he's doing films with. Oh, yeah. With Hugh Jackman in this one. He joins a big old group of actors in a movie we've talked about a couple times, 10 years, one that I think James reviewed a long time ago on the uh, Chris Pratt episode, if I recall yeah. correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With Aubrey Plaza. And he plays Andre, who's kind of like a. Maybe the best way to describe him is he's the hype man of the friends group, the high school reunion group. What I remember most from this uh, movie was how Pratt's like a loser kind of asshole. <laughs> he spends the whole time trying to apologize to yeah, a bunch of nerds that he made fun of, but he yeah, ends up bullying them in the process. A, yeah, he, he wants to say how he's not an asshole, but he just keeps being more of an asshole the whole movie. Yep. Yeah, because I remember Mackie's character is close with the the guy who's dating Aubrey Plaza or married Aubrey Plaza, who was like her boyfriend, a wankster in high school. And she doesn't know. <laughs> and she learns at the reunion that he like dated black girls in, in high school. Yeah. It's so it, that's, that's the part that makes it so funny is cause like her ex is a black guy. And she's like, Oh, does that bother you? He's like, no, nah, I actually, you're the only white woman I've ever dated. And she's like, what? <laughs> like, what did you <laughs> just say? <laughs> I recommend it I, for folks who haven't heard of it or seen. I know Corey Wallace had high recommendations for this too. You got to get over the fact that literally everybody at this high school is hot and that's not real. Yeah. That was, yeah it's like the nerd is like Oscar Isaac and Chris Pratt. It's like, yeah, they're not. All right. <laughs> I recommend it. People go check it out. So it's a good cast and it's, it's dumb, but it's, it's, it's got some good vibes to it. Um, but he meets Chris Evans at this time at the Golden Globes. And that's important because there's there's a lot of Chris Evans connections for the rest of his career. First and foremost, they do a movie together in 2011 called What's Your Number, which also had Chris Pratt as well. So he's a lot of a lot of the Chris's from the Chris universe here in 2011. And then he becomes a business owner. He opens his own bar, No Bar, in Brooklyn in 2011. And I read that it was closed by 2015, so it was not a long-lasting one. But more than J-Lo's self-service. So I'll give him that. So it lived up to his name. <laughs> yes. No bar. No bar. What do you own, no bar? This bar is designed to disappear. What I've learned from one of my favorite reality TV shows, uh, Bar Rescue, is that running a bar is a difficult business, and so I will not hold that against him. No. I know Case was excited to dig into Mackie just for the simple fact that he finally gets to talk about Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, so I'm going to give him the floor. 
You know, James, you used a phrase called guilty pleasure a little bit ago. I had an intervention with myself regarding this movie, and I ceased calling this movie a guilty pleasure. I thoroughly enjoy this movie. It's fun. If it's on, I watch it. I watch it. Like, what a ridiculous concept that Abraham Lincoln was a vampire hunter. And I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm here for that. And it drives me crazy when uh, when people are like, that's such a stupid movie. Yes. Yes, that's the point. <laughs> We know he wasn't a vampire hunter. Those people that that think it's stupid are Confederate sympathizers because this whole movie <laughs> frames Confederates as vampires and fuck them. Probably. The one thing everyone knows about Confederates is their thoughts on vampires. <laughs> Never understood that, but they are. <laughs> he plays Abraham Lincoln's like childhood friend, you know, and they they have some pretty sweet battles on top of trains together little prelude to some of his Marvel work later. One could argue that Anthony Mackie helped shape Abraham Lincoln's view uh, against racism. So he's he's doing a lot of good things in this movie. <laughs> Put that on the mic. <laughs> yeah, one could argue that. I, I don't think they should, but one could argue that. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm the one. <laughs> the torch case. Just not a tiki version, but carry the torch. You'll be good. <laughs> Um, but Gangster Squad, 2013, he's one of the Gangster Squad, uh, plays Coleman. Talk about a fun cast. That yeah. movie's got a fun cast. cast. The movie stinks, though. Mm-hmm. But the cast is on the way. Rigby, we've got two today that you fucking hate. Yeah, this movie had so much potential. And it, I just, Sean Penn, Gosling, Mackie, Josh Brolin. Mm-hmm. Not for me, though. Oh, yeah. Star power, man. Star power. What are your thoughts on Pain and Gain? Michael Bay, 2013, he played Adrian, a, a guy who has some, he loves big girls and has some issues getting his penis up. I do like that. Very relatable. <laughs> <laughs> Just lo- love seeing yourself, you know, represented on film. Mackie's funny in this, but I, my favorite character in this movie is The Rock as, because you just, he's normally, everybody knows him now is like, He's the hero. He's the family guy. And in this movie, he's a fucking coke-addicted Jesus freak. Yeah. It's so funny. It's so good. He's known as Eldad in this, right? I would say this is actually my second favorite Michael Bay movie. Behind the Rock. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I like Painting Game. Not really a huge Michael Bay fan. I like this and probably Armageddon are second for me. All right, final review is lowest critic score. So we finish with the lowest of the lows. And that is Runner Runner 2013. And Mike is our guest Munson. You know, every five episodes, the guest gets lowest critic score. And, well, maybe you struck some kind of gold. Fool's gold, potentially. So we would love to hear your thoughts on Runner Runner. That would be a negative. I believe this has a critic score of like 13. Maybe even lower than that. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, it is not great. The whole concept is that um, Justin Timberlake is a online gambling affiliate trying to get other college kids to gamble on this website and gets kicked out of college for it by the warden from Shawshank and decides that the way he discovers that somebody's been cheating to kind of scam people out of their money. Uh, Basically, you know, basically how online gambling just works in general. So he decides that what he's going to do is to you know, solve his life problems and solve this problem, he's going to go confront the guy who owns and runs the company. Uh, That's Ben Affleck cosplaying as Pablo Escobar. Um, (laughs) So he's down in Costa Rica, 
And so he, there's some big conference that all the affiliates get to go. And so he gets to go down there and he basically, well, strong arms and then schmoozes his way into being kind of a gopher for Ben Affleck. And meanwhile, you know, he's getting more and more good responsibilities and getting to do this, that, and the other thing. And meanwhile, Ben Affleck is basically setting him up at every possible chance so that he can pin all of this illegal shit that's happening with the online gambling company on Justin Timberlake. Where Anthony Mackie comes in is he plays an FBI agent, Agent Shavers, who basically lives to make Justin Timberlake's life even more of a living hell. He shows up, and basically every time, like, shit just goes to hell, he shows up with a massive shit-eating grin on his face, and it's amazing. It is He is the highlight of the movie, I think, because, like, he gets such great joy out of tormenting Justin Timberlake. Yeah, it's like a kink at that point. The scene, the scene where I was literally like, whoa, I can't believe that just happened, but it's hilarious, where he's in the airport, and he's, like, Justin Timberlake's trying to go home and then gets stopped. And Anthony Mackie just comes busted in the door, and he's got this huge grin on his face. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to blackmail you. Like, that's just how this is going to work now. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. This is great. The movie is basically, as critics have said, it's not great. It looks really good. Like, the the set, where the locations, and I think they were in Puerto Rico for most of this, was fantastic. Everything looks beautiful. Gemma Arterton looks beautiful. Justin Timberlake looks better than his acting, thus reaffirming that Joey Fatone is still the best actor to come out of NSYNC. <laughs> and the, the, uh, the other good thing is Anthony Mackie has probably the best line in the movie, I think, which is uh, at the very end, he says to Ben Affleck, don't think about the jail time. Think about how much he's going to fuck your girl. Which is... That's pretty good. Just, just so, the, it is the best writing in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that line right there. So I think my 13 was generous, and I think the Critics 7 was probably a little more accurate. Yeah, It's not great. It's awful. I will give him bonus points because Anthony Mackie, I think, is entertaining, and it's just the schadenfreude of everything is just kind of entertaining at times, but that's that's about what it's got going for it. Trivia that I read that kind of sums up your point is that Gemma, Gemma Archerton, who plays the main female lead in the movie, she almost gave up acting. Because this role, wow! <laughs> like, she she was just in the Kingsman. Like she she's done pretty well for herself acting wise. But she said that she didn't never meant to be in like action movies like this, and it really soured her on uh, performing. I really liked Justin Timberlake as an actor until this movie. <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you, <laughs> he's just too like he's just like too good looking for this movie like he just and he's just he's not a good his role is not good in this i think it's poorly written and yeah i don't like ben affleck's character like for him being as diabolical as he is by the end like they don't leave enough breadcrumbs along the way to show that he's just too nice you just don't buy it yeah i, I didn't at least i agree that's runner runner exactly well let's run our way through the last eight years of his career here which is very, very busy. And we don't, we obviously aren't going to talk about everything he's done during that time, but we'll hit some of the highlights. First and foremost, we've got The Fifth Estate, not because his role is big in this, it's very small, but it's a movie we've mentioned a bunch. So we talked about it on the Lisa Vikander episode, on the Tooch episode, Laura Linney. I'd never seen it, I watched it. The entertaining part is the first scene that Mackie shows up, he's on screen for the first time as well with Tucci and Laura Lenny. So that was kind of a fun, like, I kept waiting for the three of them to show up, and all three of them showed up at the exact same time, and it was just the three of them in the scene. So I was like, oh, this is a fun little Munson's moment. 
But the big one, 2014, he steps into the Marvel world as Sam slash Falcon in 2014's Captain America Winter Soldier. On your left. Ray, will you check this out? I got nothing on this one, guys. Sorry. <laughs> you just mentioned it, but I do love how they introduce his character as the guy who's getting like his ass kicked by Captain America in like, the warm-up runs. And it's just Captain America continuously saying on your left as he laps him over and over and over again. I mean, it really, his introduction and just like the way that they set up Sam Wilson as a character in this movie was just fantastically done. And the cast, yep. I think he, I mean, and granted he's grown into it and I think there's a lot of that speaking to it, but at the same time, it's also when you look at what the character is supposed to be, like they nailed the casting. Like he is perfect for this. I'd kind of forgotten his origin story because you get, 22 movies in beyond you start to forget supporting characters like his how we started so re-watching this i think was good for me to remember like he was a paratrooper military guy he's just somebody who served his country and had some skills as a pilot and they gave him some tools to be successful to help him out dealing with bucky coming back and being an asshole and obviously this leads to what two more three more avengers movies after that Appearances in Ant-Man in 2015. Obviously, he plays a big role in Endgame at the end with Cap handing the shield off to him. And then most recently with the the Disney Plus show Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where he finally did become Captain America, not just Falcon. So that at least the the first part of that arc is complete, knowing we're going to see Captain America 4 coming at some point in time. So the new version of Sam. I found it fascinating that and I, it is like palpable the the chemistry that he has with his male co-stars, and like I think he's at his best when they are just kind of like riffing with one another or like shooting the shit or kind of joking with one another, it's, uh, especially Sebastian Stan. And it actually got to a point where people were using their relationship as like a jumping-off point of potentially including like a gay character in the Marvel universe and Anthony Mackie ended up getting in hot water. But when I looked at, when I watched his interview, because don't get me wrong, I would love to dunk on somebody who's being an asshole to the LGBTQ community. But when I watched his interview, that's not really what he was saying. He, He, it was definitely taken out of context. What he was saying is like, you can have a loving relationship between two men and portray it on film and it not have to be, sexual and he's like and that is what this character is like these two men clearly love each other like and it and it isn't sexual i think that is something that you kind of see him do really well in a lot of his roles he does a lot of stuff and i think that falcon the motor soldier does a lot of cool stuff for like men embracing like you can be like bros and like hug each other and like it's okay to like have a like a loving relationship with another guy and like not feel bad about it but also just the fact that like he, there's a lot of race stuff, which is inherently part of the story, but like he handles racial issues in a lot of his work and like the way that he handles it and the way that he kind of portrays a lot of that stuff, I think is just, he walks such a fantastic line with a lot. Of he really does. And it's just like, I just don't, I don't think there's another, there's not a lot of other actors that I think right now can do that the way that he can do that. And still be entertaining and engaging and sympathetic and, like, not be, like, preachy or weird. It's like he just portrays it the way that he does, and it's perfect. So, And as a fan of the Marvel world, you know, 
you watch the hype for new movies and new projects. You see the PR tours that they go on and they put all these actors out there and that shit gets exhausting. I'm sure for them by day, by the end of day one, right? Outlet after outlet after outlet. Anthony Mackie routinely is like the most entertaining person on there. Cause he is constantly finding new, interesting ways to either spice up the questions, antagonize his, his, his co-pilots on the journey and he's just he's such a fun interview and the Marvel world has given him the opportunity to showcase his personality off like for the rest of the world to see. So I've, I've appreciated that. All right. So he on a personal side, he gets married in 2014. They divorced in 2018. Four years later, they have four kids together. So they start a big old family. That's Nick Cannon-esque. <laughs> Don't disrespect Nick Cannon like that. Nick Cannon had 10 kids in that time frame. I was going to say, he's like not even halfway to Nick Cannon. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> Nick Cannon is hilarious. <laughs> I actually just realized, I think She Hate Me is just Nick Cannon's life. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Cannon is the reason you ain't got new clothes for school. <laughs> We got another crossover with Chris Evans in 2014 and playing it cool. Also, Aubrey Plaza. That's the main one for the, the months in universe. And Avengers Age of Ultron 2015. And then one of James' favorites, The Night Before, played Chris alongside Seth Rogen and JGL, baby, going back to episode one. It's just a slept on comedy. And my wife and I, when Christmas comes around, of course, we do what everyone does and we watch as many Christmas movies as we can. And that's one of my favorite ones that I feel is underrated. And it's just like a classic, like, buddy comedy. We're going out, getting fucked up, and dumb shit happens. And yeah, there's a little message at the end. So, you know, you can wrap it up in a Christmas way to feel good about it. But it's mostly just like hijinks. So this movie I'd actually never seen before until I was knew I was doing this. And my girlfriend did the, like, she did the same thing, which was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is a Seth Rogen, like, stoner comedy, and you've not seen this movie? Like, how, how? <laughs> and she was dead right. Like, how, as you said, it's a slept on comedy. And as someone who loves stupid comedies, like, that is my wheelhouse. It was just one of those things where I'm like, how did I miss this? This movie is really good. Like, yeah. The chemistry, like we were just saying, the chemistry, you know, between Anthony Mackie and his co-stars is really good. I know we just talked about him and he's not the focus of the podcast, but like Michael Shannon, holy shit, is... Oh, he's he's, so funny in this role. He's unbelievable. (laughs) I remember saying halfway through the day, like, looking at my girlfriend and saying, he's such a good actor, I just want him to do more, like, stupid, goofy comedy stuff. And, like, he's not going to do, like, slapstick, fall down, like, Chris Farley type of stuff and, like, go off the walls, but, like... He's really funny and like entertaining in like this very like good like subtle realistic way, and that movie is just perfect for him. Like I think it's he plays kind of a straight man a little bit to the lovesick guy, and then Seth Rogen just being me in college. Yeah, M- Mackie just wants to play professional sports, man. Doesn't matter how many needles of steroids he has to put in his ass in this movie to get there. I love when they call him out. It's like you're the only person like ever who's gotten better after 32. Like when does that happen? Good, good point. That his ass is a very prominent, like part of his career as well. Like we talked about the (laughs) things earlier. Oh, that's the Captain America special. That's true. Well, like who really is America's ass? I think it's about the glute strength. Starting in 2016, you, you start to see a run of him doing a lot more action films, and it's probably coming off a lot of the Marvel stuff. So you've got Triple Nine, played Marcus in 2016, another Captain America Civil War, so some more Falcon action. And then he was in All the Way, a movie we talked about in the Cranston episode, which is 
I still think one of the best TV movies I've ever seen. He plays MLK, MLK Jr. in this movie. No big deal. Yeah. Uh, it's better. It's better than his Tupac for sure. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, it's he's very good. I think it's a good role for him. Yeah, Cranston's a fucking god in that movie. He's so fucking good. And and Mackie is MLK. He's like he's doing a good job being like I know this guy probably in his core doesn't like me, but it, he's serving a purpose that I believe in. So unfortunately, I have to back this guy because he's doing what we need, which is like a very nuanced situation to find yourself in. So then next year, he returns to the screen with Catherine Bigelow in Detroit. He plays Green, a foreign military guy, a movie with that is very intense. And Will Poulter, what a piece of shit he plays in that movie. Yeah, he's diabolical in this movie. I finally, this is the first time I've ever seen this, which I'm kind of ashamed that it took me so long to watch it. It's really good. I feel like it goes by really fast because how, of how intense it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good time if you want to see kind of a, a dramatized version of behind the scenes of the, the riots in Detroit in the late 60s. That first half hour is very unsettling because you don't really know what the storyline is going to be other than obviously like the historical setting. And they don't let the viewer like relax at all because Will Poulter's shithead cop like is just randomly blasting people away as the riots are going on. And he's like... Oh, I didn't know I couldn't do that. When you know he's just like an evil piece of shit. He was running. He was like, well, you know, he was stealing groceries. Like, you shot him with a shotgun, bro. Infinity War 2018 plays a character in NBA 2K19. So another performer that did some video game stuff. That's kind of cool. Technically, his highest critic score is The Hate You Give. But we covered that all the way back in the Regina Hall episode, episode three, long time ago. Not as not a huge role necessarily in that movie, but that would have qualified technically as his highest critic score. And that was almost 60 episodes ago. That's crazy. Seberg, a historical biopic um, 2019 alongside Kristen Stewart, plays a pretty major role in that one. I know you guys like Black Mirror. He's in an episode called Striking Vipers 2019. Any any background on that one? Yeah, Kyle, have you ever seen this one? No, I haven't. Oh, well, it reminds me a lot of you. Oh, God. I think you'd enjoy it. (laughs) No, I use that joke all the time because (laughs) people, one, will take it sincerely and be like, oh, cool. And then they'll go check it out and realize I was clearly fucking with them because Anthony Mackie's character is uh, just like a normal dude. He's married and he loves playing video games In, in this dystopian future. You can like set it up so that your subconscious is your character's subconscious. So like you think you're sub zero, you think you're Scorpion and you're there. But what, what ends up happening is him and his friends do that. And instead of like fighting, they start fucking. And so it's like, (laughs) I'll be Sonya blade and you could be Johnny cage and we'll just go in there and they, and they just start boning each other. And it's like, are we cheating on our wives that we play video games together and suck each other off? Or like, I don't know, because you were a girl when it happened. And it's so, dude, it's it's one of the funnier, funnier Black Mirrors that I don't think it's intentionally supposed to be funny, but I did find it hysterical. Yo, Melina just got banged out by Goro. <laughs> right, crazy. exactly, exactly. It's just Imagine like, what Goro could pull off. There's no way the video game developers <laughs> intended us to do this, right? It's funny because it's like, it's actually similar to this next show that we're going to discuss, uh, Altered Carbon. Well, let's let's go straight to that. Yeah. Altered Carbon, he's in eight episodes of that as Takeshi 2020. So Altered Carbon is, it's actually pretty cool. It's a, it's a two-season run because 
the second season, I think it just kind of fell off and it was super expensive for Netflix to make. But it is based on a book and it's this dystopian future. Your body dies, but you can actually live forever if you can afford it. And they essentially download your your soul onto like a little disc. And as long as your family can afford it, they can put you into a new body. So the main character is Takashi, I believe. Uh, the season one, he's played by Joel Kinnaman. And season two, he's played by Anthony Mackie. But the character himself is supposed to be an Asian man. But because of the bodies that he got, it's like they can just play different actors throughout the entire time. That makes sense now because I saw the name and I was like, "How? Huh, why is his character named that? Yes. And so he's the, ma- he's the main character. What's his, his accent? Is he talking like himself normally or does he talk with an accent? Talks like himself. It's just his memories and when he has flashbacks are when he's alive and it's a completely different actor. So somebody wasn't trying to go up there and put on like an Asian accent. No, that, that would that would be terrible. <laughs> that might get a little messy. Yeah. Um, okay, that's good to know. And then tw- the, I guess the the last big one here is, and there's a lot of stuff in here we're not going to mention, but outside the wire was in terms of like giving him an action franchise where he's the lead, similar to with what they've done with Hem- Hemsworth through Netflix. This is kind of, I think, the Mackie equivalent to it that came out last year. I know it was the most popular movie on Netflix for a couple weeks there because, you know, it was it was the big release. But I don't think it got to the level of, like, Extraction by Hemsworth and things like that. So I haven't heard anything about it yet. Another one coming out. James, you can tell me if you've heard otherwise. But I think another residual of his Marvel work and getting a lot of action-driven films on Netflix. Actually, unfortunately, I've not checked this out. Yeah, it's decent. I mean, it's it's okay. There's probably worse Netflix content for you to check out, but if you're looking for something different from Mackie, I I don't think you're going to go for that. You're going to get exactly what you expect him to deliver. So, and then Hot Ones in 2021, most recently, alongside Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which he did win an award from the MTV Movie Awards for Best Hero. Because people love Captain America. Go figure. Rigby, top performances. What do we got? All right. Uh, I was able to track down a list from Cinema Blend from April 2021. So it's actually a year old, Mm -hmm. but it's pretty timely. And it's TV and film. And I will preface that the Marvel movies are... Uh, separated in this so it's not just one you know it's not just falcon all the marvel movies it's like it's actual performances by in individual marvel movies which i thought was interesting how many are there uh 10 10 total right and it's 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 ranked as well numerically abraham lincoln vampire hunter amen number one sorry to break your heart Craig. wait what we would like a new list please yes Craig wants a refund Give him a refund. Uh, give me Hurt Locker. Numero uno. There you go. Nailed it. Eight Mile. Eight Mile's not on here, surprisingly. I th- I just, what? Yeah, no. Now I want a refund. <laughs> Adjustment Bureau. Nope. Wow. Fuck me. I'll also preface that I think we talked about all of these but one. Okay. Not, like talk- that. not talked about, but mentioned or discussed, I should say. Okay. Half Nelson. Uh, number 10. Damn, that just snuck in there, huh? Hmm. Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Number two. Give me We Are Marshall. That's got to be on that list. It's not. 
What? I'm done. I'm over three. <laughs> Knight catches us. Nope. Kyle, you got her locker. Uh, I guess that's true, but that's easy. How many Marvel movies are on this list? Three. Oh. Oh, that's actually not that many. Okay. Endgame? Uh, no. He's only in it, like, you know, he's got, like, a cameo, but he does get, they give him the best line of the best scene. Did anybody say Abraham Lincoln? (laughs) (laughs) Pride and Prejudice in Zombies. Can we we will it into existence here? (laughs) Uh, Ring me Million Dollar Baby? Million Dollar Baby's number seven. Nice job. Okay, back on the board. Love it. Fuck it. She hate me. Yeah. Nope. Pain and gain. Oh, no. Damn. Night before. Nope. Damn. Detroit? Nope. All right. All the way has got to be on there. That's Yes, number four. Okay. okay. All right. Notorious. Nope. Damn. Saying chronic. Nope. Captain America Civil War. Do we get all the ones? Uh... No. Nice job. That's number eight. Okay. There we go. So there's still one more Marvel movie on here. Infinity War. Yes. Yeah. Nice job. That's Infinity War. All right. We're missing three, and I'll give you it's TV series and film. Falcon and the Winter Soldier on there? Altered states. Altered carbon is the t- is the word. Oh. Carbon, yeah. Nope. Oh. Black Mirror? Yes, Black Mirror. Number Hell four. yeah, bro. That, that episode about Kyle? <laughs> <laughs> We're missing two. Number three and number nine. We're missing number three, and we talked about it, too. Mm-hmm. That's a shame. That's a tough one. Uh, is it Eagle Eye? Maybe it's Gangster Squad. Nope. Fuck, I don't know, man. Manchurian Candidate. (laughs) Your favorite movie. It is The Hate You Give. Okay. Oh, damn. Okay, yeah. I get this. Number nine, we didn't mention The Inevitable Defeat of Mr. and Pete. Okay. I always like when we get one on there that wasn't originally in our conversation. Just goes to show we don't know everything. We know nothing. Fact. That's true. We're just trying to do our best here. Good job, Rigby. Thanks. Good list. So, so what was the top three again? Remind us. Hurt Locker, uh, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and The Hate You Give. Was Desert Flower number 11? <laughs> <laughs> well, made we'll decent know. money. Why not? We'll never know. Well, let's get into the Munson meter. So what we do, we rate every actor on a scale of 0 to 100 based on a variety of factors. Those factors can include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, acting range, awards footprint, any other talents they might have, personal life, comedic chops, box office success, or lack thereof, and anything else that matters to us as Munson's. So we will start with James. So with Anthony Mackie, I think what I would deduct from him the most is not necessarily name recognition. I do think he has the name recognition. I do think he has had the obviously the pop culture impact with with all the Marvel movies. I think it's kind of the leading man roles. He has had leading man roles, but he thrives more as a supporting character. And in interviews, he's mentioned himself that he enjoys playing supporting characters more uh, because they are given freedom to have kind of more of a backstory that you can you have leeway with. And I, I think that comes through in, in his performances. When it comes to the positives, I think he has the range, right? You see him in dramas, you see him in action movies, you see him in comedies. I think he's at his best when he's playing like a charismatic kind of tough guy. But I honestly, I think more so he's at his best in comedies. I, I, he has chemistry with his male counterparts and 
I think he'd be great in buddy comedies, and I, I'd love to see him do more of those, to be quite honest. My favorite thing about him is kind of what uh, Mike was referencing, is he gives great interviews. He comes across super genuine, and he talks like he's just, you know, it's just you and him, and he's speaking from the heart. And that is a not a common thing where people tailor their image so much. And because of that, and because he's not afraid to answer tough questions, you know, sometimes he gives answers that people don't agree with. And he doesn't say them in a way that is kind of like, I am the all knowing answer. And this is the correct answer. He just mentions like, this is my point of view. And I know I'm not right on everything, but this is how I believe. And I kind of respect someone who takes that approach because most people will downplay harder questions or avoid them altogether. And he doesn't do that. He, he answers honestly and truthfully. And, and I respect that. And then after I heard that he is as cool in person as he appears to be in these interviews, had to bump him up an extra point there. And so I'm going to rate him a 69. Ridley. I really like Anthony Mackey. I love the Hurt Locker. Love 8 Mile, even though his role in 8 Mile is small. It's very impactful. Great opening start to his career. I think he's got range. He He's funny, but he's also super in some super dark and gritty emotional movies like Detroit, like Half Nelson. He can play the good guy, but he can also play the bad guy really, really well. And yeah, I think really the only thing that he's missing, like James said, is the leading man prowess that comes with, you know, the higher Munson scores, just kind of, kind of being the guy that they, that, you know, they write scripts with this guy in mind. I don't think he's there quite yet, uh, but that's not saying he won't get there someday. So I think he's put together a really good career. I like him. Big fan of his, and I'm going to give him a 76. Mike, our guest Munson, you are up. Yeah, I think, I think both guys have said a lot of good stuff so far. I think, you know, it's for me, it's, there's a lot of different factors going into it. It's, you know, he's been around for 20 years, but I also don't think he's anywhere near, you know, the twilight of his career. Like, you know, it's, my girlfriend and I always talk about primes and like who's in their prime and when, when is a prime. And it's like, I think he's literally in the middle of his right now. So that's the thing is I think he's got a, like a very high ceiling still, which, you know, that's kind of an interesting place to be when you're 43 and you've been around 20 plus years and you're still, you know, got a whole lot of life left to go. So I give him a lot of bonus points for that. I think, I think you know, he will eventually win an Oscar. I that's I honestly believe that I think because, you know, we talked about the range, the fact that he can do comedy, whether that's going to be as a comedic supporting role or a really good villain or even as a leading man. Um, I do think he's going to end up winning an Oscar at some point. I do think that's a knock that he isn't getting the leading man stuff right now, but I do think that's probably in the future. I think Captain America 4 is going to tell us a lot about that. The range, you know, like I said, I, I, I wanted to see him do more goofy comedies and like I... You know, you're not going to see him do the slapstick stuff or this, that, or the other thing, but, like, he is actually really good in comedies when he's doing those more comedic roles. And so I kind of bumped him around, and obviously I've met the guy in person, and, like, the humble, the the humility and stuff, and that stuff just bleeds through. Also, I give him big bonus points because the reason I found out he closed his bar is because he moved back to New Orleans because he's been doing, like, house rebuilds, and he's built, like, 28 houses. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's a big carpenter. Big carpenter. This is 2007, um, and I've I've actually done Katrina rebuilds too, and that shit sucks. Like just <laughs> Louisiana heat in August is the worst. Mm-hmm. So like I give him bonus points for that. So I'm giving him a 79. Um, I respect the shit out of the theater work that he's done. You know, I I love seeing performers that do that, especially do it well and do it consistently throughout his career, which he has done, and the, the training 
pays off when you get to the on-screen work. It's very clear from a pop culture standpoint, he's had a pretty ridiculous run of popular films in the 2000s. Um, starting with A Mile up, to, even to today, it's it's clear that a lot of these companies and distribution entities are willing to put his face, put his name on a lot of their new, especially original properties, which is pretty cool. And obviously, he's going to take a, a be a huge role of Marvel going forward. And they don't screw around with their money in the Marvel world. At least they try not to. I give him credit for experimenting with some accents in movies like Shelter and Haven. I don't know if they're great accents, but I give him at least some credit for trying some different things but i'm going to get into the bonus point category here fellow fisherman bonus point his dad was a roofer bonus point he thinks Chappelle's show is the best show ever bonus point and he was on hot ones that's a lot of bonus points i'm tossing in yeah. and he doesn't have a bunch of chest hair so i don't have to take away any points too so that's a, that's a win and one day he wants to host his own cooking home improvement wellness show which i think would be really i think it'd be a really fun like kind of like tucci does with the cooking show on cnn um, I think it would be fun to watch Mackie do like a home improvement show. I think it would be fun content to watch. Yeah. But he really has no awards footprint at all. So he takes a huge hit there from me. So I'm going to give him a solid 70. All right, Craig, finish this out, man. All right. Well, I really enjoyed him. You guys have said everything. A couple of points I want to drive home. Talked earlier about how his IMDb was really high. You know, when I was telling people this is who we were covering on this episode, it was hard to describe to them who he was and what roles he was in movies. And so I think that sets him back a little bit. And then the final thing, that story you told earlier, Mike's really sticking with me about how good of a dude he is. And I, I think that's important. And so including that stuff with other stuff you guys have already brought up, I'm going to give him a 73. All right. With that, that gives Anthony Mackie a 73.4. Ooh. Which puts him in 28th place. Sandwiched between Tim Roth and J-Lo. What do we think? Nice. Weird company, but it fits. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's the oh, first thing I saw. I was like, what an odd mix of people. James, what does he have coming soon? It looks like there's quite a few things on this list. Yeah, so this guy is a workhorse. Um, he has a movie that's in post-production called We Have a Ghost, which I think Sounds like it's going to be a comedy with David Harbour, Jennifer Coolidge, Tig Notaro, and himself. Signal Hill, which he gets to play the lead, Johnny Cochran. And it's based on a true story with Elizabeth Banks and Jamie Foxx. So that might be one of those movies that you know pushes him towards more the leading man roles. Mm. But dude, there are so many. The, the one I'm... Obviously, Captain America is in pre-production. Tell me, John, the John Doe character is the one you're looking forward to, right? Yeah, I mean, yes. he's going to be on a TV series about Twisted Metal, the video game, and he's playing the John Doe character. It's not like, Twisted Metal is not like one of those games you play and you go, oh, I love the storyline of this game. So I'm very intrigued to see where they go with it because it's, it's about like crashing cars and shit into each other. It's like a demolition derby. And so I'm very intrigued to see where it goes. But he does seem to be one of the main characters in that as well. Yeah, I played a lot of Twisted Metal growing up, so I'm very interested to see how they turn this into an on-screen production. I, my assumption is that they'll they'll have quite a budget on this if they're just going to be wrecking cars all the time. Oh man, what a violent! Yeah, so he's got quite a bit a violent, violent game. Twisted Metal was that's for sure. <laughs> Five actors we're throwing onto the wheel for our next episode, which is going to land May 19th. We will actually have two guests because. Rigby is not going to be with us the next time because he's going on a much-needed vacation. 
He's going to go do fun things in tropical places. And so we will have Crystal Clark, who is a new guest. And we'll have Aubrey McKay, who has been with us a few times, stepping in. I just confirmed that a little bit ago with him. Nice. We're going to talk about one of these five actors. Is it Halle Berry, Uma Thurman, Bryce Dallas Howard, Sam Neill, or Alfred Woodard? What do we like from that list? What do we dislike? I hate that I'm going to not be here for that because I don't see much. Yeah, I don't see much I dislike. All those are fantastic. There's no weak link on this wheel. No, there is not. Allie Bear would be would be my vote. I would say her or Sam Neill would be mine. If I got to come back, I'd want Sam Neill just so I could watch Hunt for the Wilder People and a bunch of Jurassic Park movies. <laughs> Thank you. Hunt for the Wilder People is one of the best movies in the past five years, and I constantly talk about how amazing it is, and it's so good to hear someone else say that. I've been trying to get my girlfriend to watch it for three years, I think, and she still hasn't, but... Dumb. Going to make it. It's so good. Must be a Marvel movie because I've never seen it. Now it's <laughs> Taika Waititi. Uma Thurman would give us a lot of fun movies to watch too. Mm-hmm. I agree. Bryce Dallas would be interesting to talk about with the the uh, fa- obvious family connections there. Yeah. And and yeah, how much of a nepotism legacy is there? I don't know. Now, what has she been in that I liked? I mean, all the Jurassic Park stuff she's in. Yeah, no, she's been in all the shitty Jurassic Park movies, but I swear she's been in good movies. Black Mirror. She's got a Black Mirror episode that's real popular. Oh, yeah, that was a good Black Mirror episode. Oh, yeah, yes, that was. That one was. Where, like, the, where, like, the Uber scores are, like... For people. Yeah, yeah. For, that was yeah. good. We can talk about how she's constantly mixed up with people like Jessica Chastain. Well, that's just like, hey, you have red hair. So does she. She's good in 50-50, yeah. too. I remember that with JGL. I was going to say, if the wheel picks Clint Howard, you know, call me. Because I'll. <laughs> That's what I want to do. Because there's going to be some terrible movies there. I loved what him a, in The Grinch. What an ugly fucking dude. That's so hateful, Kyle. And Alfrey's been on this list before and seen her in some of the other stuff we watched recently, too. So I think she's she's done a lot of good work, just maybe not as much stuff that people have mainstream heard of. Oh, man, Bryce Dallas Howard was in A Dog's Way Home. I hope we don't get her. Never mind. There's one person on the list they don't want to cover. It's That's her. Not feeling that? Well, you know, The Dog's Way Home, the dog fucking definitely dies. I mean, there's no way there's a picture of a puppy holding a leash on the cover and this dog doesn't die in a horrific fashion. If we did Alfred, we could talk about 12 Years a Slave, Star Trek First Contact, and uh, Passion Fish, which is a movie I talked about in the Angela Bassett episode. She's the, one of the main leads in that. Well, we shall see. T- two out of five chance we're watching some Jurassic Park movies in the next two weeks. Oh, yeah. So we've got that going for us here. All right. Well, we don't decide. Mike doesn't decide. Crystal and Aubrey don't decide. The wheel decides. And we'll see how episode 62 goes. Going to miss you, Rigby. Well, Mike, we've uh, kind of reached the end of this thing, end of the road. You know, it's been fantastic to have you, man. Thanks for joining us. You know, Mackie's done quite a bit, so it, it takes some time to dig through it all and do it justice. Um, this is your opportunity to talk a little bit about what you guys are doing in the Zooming the Movie side or any wise words for our audience, whatever it is. It's your your spotlight, my friend. Yeah, I just wanted to thank you guys for having me. It was tons of fun. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I watched... Movies I never think I would have ever watched before, uh, like She Hate Me mostly, and and now have a new favorite Christmas movie to watch the night before, so that'll be fun. So yeah, I was going to say Zooming the Movies is great. Uh, right now, uh, you know, if you are interested in 
you know, acting or producing or being a part of it or just watching, um, you know, we're open to everybody. So come join the Facebook group. It's literally Kevin Pollock's Zooming the Movies. You can just type in Zooming the Movies and you'll find us. I think while this is, when this is released, we will be in the middle of Star Wars week. Cool. So they're doing a bunch of different Star Wars readings, um, including some Shakespearean adaptations of Star Wars. At the end of the month, we're doing uh, something kind of cool, which Zooming the Movies is kind of fun with, is we do some like new screenplays, new plays, that kind of thing. We we create a space where screenwriters and directors and stuff can kind of see their stuff cold read and workshopped a little bit. So I'm a part of uh, reading for that, for one of those at the end of the month, um, called Love and Damage, and it's all about... A football player who lucks his way into the NFL and after four plays gets a massive concussion and 25 years later is still dealing with the ramifications of that. So I'm really excited to be a part of that. It's a new screenplay. They're kind of trying to get it made into a movie. Someone who played college football and had concussions and stuff like that. It's something that's very near and dear to me. So I get to kind of meld sports and acting um, into one thing, which will be a lot of fun. So yeah, if you're in Chicago... Um, and you're looking for voiceover talent or a sports announcer or anything like that, you can find me at Mike at the Mike on Twitter. So that's M-Y-K-E at the Mike. And Well, I'm glad we could kind of finally put this together. I've been following your Zooming the Movies journey on Facebook for a while. So I know I'd reached out a couple of times, but like, hey, man, I'd love to get you on the pod because I think you could bring a, a good experience. And Yeah, it's it's been fun. This is great. This is a really, I love the format you guys have and I love the conversations and the, the jokes. It's literally like sitting around with a bunch of your buddies watching movies and talking shit. So that's the goal and trying to be informative, trying to yeah, somewhere along the way. All right. Last having you tonight, dude. Thanks for jumping on with us. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, man. So as we wrap things up, you can catch us on Twitter, Munson's at movies. You can catch us on Instagram, Munson's at the movies. You can email us Munson's at the movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Anthony Mackey? Your lyrics are shitty, like when I cop the squat. Who told you you can fuck with the mighty pop the doc? For stepping on the stage, I should rock your not. Don't get too close, or you might get shot. Munson's out. Alright, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? On your left. Uh-huh, on my left. Got it.